A, a really big event in the history of the nation of Israel took place in the reading that we had this last week. If you have been reading along with us, we are we're in a series where we are going really quickly through a bunch of books of the Old Testament right now from Joshua to 2 Kings, reading it quickly to be able to get an overview, uh, just to kind of familiarize ourselves with Scripture, but also to kind of see some of the bigger themes of what God is doing there. When you come, if you come on Sunday, you don't have to have done the reading. It's not required ahead of time. Hopefully you can understand what's going on even without that. But if you want to read along with us, we do post online what the readings are going to be. I will tell you actually this next week, there is a break in Immerse for a reading. You can use this next week to catch up or uh, just to do something else, I guess, if you'd like. Uh, we're going to have a guest speaker this next week. Pat Stark, the guy who's doing the training on being a welcoming church, is going to be preaching this next Sunday. I'm really looking forward to having him here. He's really a great guy, and uh, I love to hear him speak. So there will be a break from that. I would encourage you, if you're in an immersed group, you could consider this next week maybe to do an overview, to look back at things that have happened in the past, or maybe you could just decide that this week is a week that you want to go out and have a piece of pie together. That would be a great thing to do, have community together. Uh, so uh, in 1 Kings 8, which is one of the things that we got at this last week, in 1 Kings 8, Solomon has commissioned the temple. Don't, don't give him that yet. They're going to get distracted. They're, they're, hang on a second. Okay, thank you. Okay. I know my own attention span when I'm here. I can't handle it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in 1 King 8, Solomon has commissioned for a temple to be built. David was not, his father wasn't able to be the one to build it, uh, but he says that Solomon is going to be able to do it, and they end up dedicating the temple. All right, now, 1 Kings 8. And this is the prayer. This is part of this conversation that as the temple is dedicated— Solomon prays this prayer, and uh, in his prayer, he kind of has a little conversation, but he begins with this, and we're just going to focus on, uh, is, there, is there 8, 10 to 11? Yeah. If I don't have it in there, it's my bad. Okay, we'll start at the previous one. Um, in 1 Kings 8, 10 to 11, it says this, when the priests came out of the holy place, so they had taken God's ark where the ten, the tablets of the Ten Commandments were, and they placed that in the temple. He says, when the priests came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. So, I think the people had prepared a lot of different stuff for the temple. They had gotten all of the materials necessary. They'd even done it in a really respectful way. That They had done it in specific ways by not having tools at the work site, all that kind of stuff. But I think for as much as they had prepared for things, I think they weren't really prepared for this. That when they dedicated the temple, suddenly this cloud comes and fills the temple. I think they must have thought, what is happening but what was happening is that God's presence was coming and filling that temple. That the, he was coming to have his presence rest on the temple. And the, the term that's used for that is, is the Shekinah of God, this glory of God that's come to rest in the temple. And basically, they have built this building, but now God has come to town. God is there. You might be thinking, hey, Kurt, I did my reading this last week, and I think I remember the dedication of the temple. I don't remember this being that big of a deal in a way. It kind of went quickly. It's something that would have been rather easy to miss, I think, other than Solomon's prayer, which is a bit longer. Um, it was described in a pretty simple way. 
it's easy for us to kind of blow past that kind of thing, partly because they knew that everyone would understand the significance of that moment and read into it as much of the significance of what was happening there that it sounds like bold letters for them when they read that. I think you can compare that to, just imagine even our own worship center here. So this was built in the early 90s. You can imagine, and the story of telling how this was built would be kind of easy. And there's interesting details. Uh, You may know or may have heard, maybe you were there and you did it. Uh, Actually, the insides of these walls actually have a lot of scripture written on them. Uh, that people wrote down some of their favorite verses all along on the insides of the walls. That's an easy thing for me to say quickly, but for us to think about the significance of that and as this place was dedicated and what it means for us in our community life is something that we could understand over time the meaning of in a much larger way. And that's the same thing that happens in the temple. It's pretty easy to describe kind of what happened, but the significance is going to reverberate throughout the history of Israel. It's a big deal. So in 1 Kings, it's, it's the dedication of this thing. And it wasn't just, you know, our church is one of many churches here in town. It was a big deal for us, but it's, a, it's, it's one of many churches. But this was the temple, the one place. That, that there had not been a permanent place for God's house up until then. It had been the tabernacle that was moving from place to place. And Solomon was honored to get to be the one to do that. We're going to think a bit today about the temple and the significance of that and its meaning for us as believers. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we welcome you. We want your presence in our lives. We want that to transform us. We even want to want your presence because sometimes we don't even want that. Uh, we don't feel that feeling. But God, we, we ask you to subtly and maybe more powerfully at times, do your work in us. We want to be, we, want to, we are your people, and we want to live in the light of that, we pray. And so may help us to understand this verse today and to uh, make it move in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, go ahead and put up that 1 Kings 8.27 passage for me, please. Uh, Solomon was honored to get to be the one to finally build this house. And he says, this is God's house. You could ask yourself the question, hey, did Solomon actually think that, like, God lived there? Like, that was his address, right? No, he did not. Listen to how he says. He says, but will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. God, how much less this temple I have built. He's not under the impression that if you just knock on the door, this is where where God's house is in that sense, but that this is a place where God's glory, the, the glory of heaven overlaps with kind of the everyday life of earth where heaven and earth overlap in this place. It's, and the, the term that's used, it's his intersection, but it's a place where God's presence rests, where he's able to commune with us. And the term that he uses, he says that his, his name is there. Let's, let's read the next bit. This is uh, verse 28. Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and my plea, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. May you watch over this temple night and day and place where you have said my, this place where you have said my name will be there. 
May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live. And when you hear, forgive. Great. Uh, he's starting out well. We know that actually Solomon doesn't end real well for him. But this is a place where heaven and earth touch. And it's, it, the idea is that his name would dwell there. And there's a lot of theological significance about our name, specifically in, in their culture about what a name is. But we can understand some of that significance, that a, knowing someone's name makes it personal. It makes it more intimate. That if you know my name, it's just a little easier to get a, my attention, right? That when we know God's name and we know where his name dwells, it's a, it's a way of saying that his, his presence, he's putting his ownership on this place. This is, this is mine. I've put my name on it. Kind of like in Toy Story when, when Woody gets his, uh, Andy's name on his boot. His name is on it. It belongs to him, but it also means relationship. And God has put his name on this place. It's very significant. God's name dwells there, and it's a place where everyone's earnest requests can be heard, where sins are forgiven, where uh, rituals take place. It's It's a big, big deal. It's a place to meet with God. And to understand a bit more of some of the significance, I guess, of the temple, I think it's good for us to back up a little bit in Scripture and understand that this is actually one of the big themes of the Bible. And it's one of the reasons why we need to make sure that we pause here to understand it a little bit better. Because in Genesis 1, when God is forming the, the cosmos, he's taking all the disorder of the world and bringing order to it, what is behind that is actually God is creating the cosmos as his temple. It's a place where he would dwell with his people, where everything would overlap. Everything was an overlap between God's presence and his gifting and his giving to the world and us and living in that world. And that was the overlap. And that's why there's things like Adam and Eve are walking in the garden and they expect to just run into God. That this is a place where we, we meet with God and the whole world is his temple. And in fact, the whole thing about it being the seventh day where he rests, it's supposed to mean that he's in his temple and he's, that worship is happening. Like the temple is now commissioned and active. And that's the same thing that would happen here in the temple in 1 Kings 8, that he comes to rest in that place. I think it even uses the words rest. Genesis 3 talks about the breakdown of that, where there's a a breaking between the relationship between people, uh, breaking of relationship between people and creation, between people and God. And it destroys the peace, the shalom of that place. It destroys, it, it brings poison into the temple. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. We can fast forward. God ends up giving his people, calling his people out of Egypt, and uh, he gives them his law, and he gives them the tabernacle, his temporary place. Uh, and now we come to 1 Kings 8, where finally God's temple is built. That's the point where we're at this morning, where this temple is built. God's presence comes and dwells in this place, and it's wonderful. But what we're going to read if you have been reading already ahead in the stories in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, is a story of people whose attention was on God and then their attention drifts. And they give themselves to other things. And those things are 
just common things, but they're also spiritually significant things, and they start to worship other gods. And they, they give their heart to somebody else other than God's name. And God says, I'm not going to put up with that. And there's this terrible image in Ezekiel 10. Uh, there's a, it's, it's a hugely significant moment in the life of God's people when it talks about God's spirit rising up and leaving the temple which is the people were already being brought, taken into exile, and it was this great tragedy. But it was a tragedy that followed the people not really going to the temple or not giving their hearts to God. And it's this tragedy. You know, that temple ends up getting destroyed. Uh, There's another temple that's built later. If you were with us a few years ago, we actually did the book of Haggai. It's probably the only time you've ever heard a sermon on the book of Haggai, if you were there. Uh, But uh, it talks about when they were building another temple. The the other place where it's in is in the book of Ezra. And they they build another temple, and the people who see it, who knew the previous temple, they're sad because they're like, this one stinks compared to the last one. They're like, yeah, it's a temple, but it's not great. And uh, there, that one ends up getting built onto. Herod was one of the guys who added to that temple. And uh, it was considered by the prophets as being kind of a mixed bag, kind of like some of the people we've been reading about recently. But it's, it's built, but it's, it tends to be perceived as being corrupt. Just as a, as a side note, do you know where that temple was built? Uh, in Jerusalem, actually, uh, the spot where it is, there's actually a mosque up there now, uh, which contributes to some of the... Uh, uh, Acrimony, maybe, between uh, people who want, uh, if somebody wants to have the temple rebuilt there. Then, what God does in Christ, what it says about Christ in John 1, that Christ has come and dwelled among us. It says this, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it uses a really interesting word. We have seen his glory. And for people who know about God's glory coming to dwell on the previous temple, the Shekinah that comes, this starts to echo in your ears. And you think about God coming to dwell in the temple, that Christ, the word of God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. This Shekinah glory comes to dwell. And, And Jesus takes this kind of temple language on himself. In John 2, he tells the people, he says this, he, he takes this language and applies it to himself. He says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And the people are like, are you ridiculous? I, this building kind of took a long time to build. You by yourself cannot destroy it. He was talking about his body. He was talking about himself. He said that I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected three days later. So he's doing that though. He's purposely taking on temple language for himself, that he would be the place where heaven and earth overlap. He would be that place. And it was a really scandalous statement. If you know the story about what happens, this is some of the, this is one of the things actually that the witnesses use against Jesus when they bring charges against him for being a blasphemer. They say, he said this stuff. He said that he was going to tear down the temple. And it specifically uses that language when the people come to say, he's not the guy that we want to follow because he's a blasphemer. He talked about himself like he's the temple or he talks badly about the temple. So it was scandalous, and that was part of the reason that they used then to send him to the cross, to kill him. 
That temple theme does continue after Jesus, though. In the book of Acts, in Acts 2, God's presence comes and dwells on his people. That's the image of the day of Pentecost, when the the tongues of fire come on the people, and they're able to, to speak in different languages, and they see this manifestation in each individual person's life. So previously... The Spirit had come on individual people, maybe on a prophet, something like that. But there was, a, there was a foretelling that God's Spirit would end up getting poured out on all of God's people. And the, new, the early church said, this is that moment. God's Spirit is poured out on us. And that now we are the ones who are called by God's name, and we have God's presence dwelling in us. That by God's Holy Spirit is dwelling in the life of of a believer, and he is turning us and changing us into something new. So that temple theme continues. And the New Testament writers, they repeat this thing. They say that that God has built now and is building a new temple on earth. And Christ claimed that he was that temple, that we in Christ are now together that temple. So 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, I think that's specifically trying to destroy the church, I think, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You together are that temple where God is dwelling. Ephesians 2 takes on the same theme. In, it's in Christ Jesus, it says in him in the text, in Christ Jesus, the whole building is joined together, this building of what God is doing, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a, build, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow, it's sounding a lot like 1 Kings 8. Last one, 1 Peter uh, the Apostle Peter writes this. This is probably, this, the language of this one really resonates with me. As you come to him, Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We together, the work that God is doing is that he's actually building people to be the temple. God's saying that my work isn't to do another building. My building is living stones. Living stones together that we are built as God's temple. Crazy. And it means to me that we together, there's, a, there's an element where there's a togetherness. Not just us, not just our church. It's all the followers of Jesus around the world, throughout history, we are connected with them together. That we are built to this temple that can bring glory and praise to God. Among other things I want to say, I just want to say, faith is a team sport. Faith is a team sport. That we do it together. And uh, we, it's not just that I'm a temple, uh, uh, but usually we talk about that when, you're, when people are wanting you to work out. My body is a temple, right? That kind of thing, right? Uh, but it's, we are being built together as God's temple, this place. And, and so it's, you can't go on faith alone. So the temple image continues on into the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not a different story than the rest of the Bible. It is telling the gospel in very vibrant 
images, and we can explain that some other time, probably. Um, it's this place where the, uh, the Apostle John has been given a, an, a vision of the victory of Christ over the forces of darkness in the world by the cross and what he's doing in the world. That's the main theme. The main theme of Revelation is actually the Lamb wins. If you take nothing else away from Revelation, it is that. But in Revelation 21, at the very end, near the end of John's vision, he gets this, and he sees this vision. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So it's coming down from heaven, and where is it going? It's coming to earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And, in a loud vo- and I heard a loud voice from the throne, from God himself, saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And he, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So the end, where all of history is going, the end of history is pointing toward this image of God coming to dwell with us, this overlapping of heaven and earth. Revelation 21, it, it, there's, this, there's this, the intersection between heaven and earth is now complete. And, and if the intersection between heaven and earth is complete, there's no need for a building that's there, a temple building. Revelation 21 22 says this, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. So when we, now there's no, there's nothing between us and God. It's this image of a place where we have perfect unity with God. We have communion with God. There's nothing blocking us. There's nothing that needs to be built or done. I, I will say uh, there are, this is an image that should drive us. In this new creation, the thing that we are pointing toward, there, we will have this perfect communion with God that was lost. It means that we don't need to work to build any physical temples here. The thing that we need to build is God's people, God's people, no other place. All right, that was kind of a lot that I just kind of sent you through, a little whirlwind tour of the Bible right there, right? But what we can understand is that the arc of the biblical narrative regarding the temple is that it goes from this place where everything is perfect and overlapping between heaven and earth. We have this communion with God. It gets broken, and then God is on this project to rebuild that, reconnect it, and he will complete his project at the end of time to bring us back in communion with him. We're being built together as this temple of God, looking forward to being in his presence in that way. All right, so... You might be thinking, that's cool that it all fits together, but what does that have to do with me? (laughs) What does that have to do with us? Well, the temple that we see God inhabiting in 1 Kings 8, God now has said that his people are the, the temple. In fact, I would say the one in 1 Kings 8 was looking forward to the real temple that God was building in his people. So we are now that thing from 1 Kings 8. So the people, back, the people back in the day when that temple was built had a place that they could go where they would meet with God. They say, I know the direction I want to face when I pray. I know where God is dwelling. I, I have a physical place where I can go and be with him. That's where God's name dwells. That's where heaven and earth overlaps. And when, when God's presence came down there, it turned what had been kind of an ordinary building 
I mean, they kind of built it in a special way, like I said, but it's a, it was a building out of stone, a building out of wood, and it, God's presence coming onto that place made that place special. God's presence in that place made that place holy, set apart. It wasn't just a building anymore. It was now a temple. And what we are told in the New Testament is that now God's presence dwells in us. And if we are followers of Jesus, what that means is that we have God's spirit in us and, it, and God's spirit has taken what was a normal person with flesh and bone and God's presence has now dwelt in us. And the same thing happens to us. That we're not just people anymore. I mean, you are. But you're also sp special set apart, made holy. That's why the Bible talks about people who are followers of Jesus, that you're saints. I, I know that you and I know that we're not, but we're made holy because God dwells in us, that we are now a temple together, not because we're so special, but because what God has done. It's not the way that they built that temple that made it right. It's because God was there, and that's what happens to us, that God has come and he dwells in us because when, when God's in the house, he changes stuff. He changes everything. It's his presence that changes everything because he puts his name on us. He's made that place holy, and it's a place for meeting God. All right, here is a kind of crazy but not so crazy statement. Temples should be prepared for God moments. All right, so if there is a temple, you're kind of like, you go to that temple and you expect that temple, that temple, if, a, if, the, if the stones could talk, would say, I'm ready for God moments because people come here to meet with God. So a temple should be ready for God moments. Now we have also said that now God dwells in us, that we together are being built like living stones to be this place where God's presence dwells, where he is worshiped. We are a temple to God. And I want to say, a temple should be ready for God moments. If we are God's temple, we should be ready for God moments. Just imagine, I, I think it would be, be so ridiculous for, let's just pick, let's pick on the temple in 1 Kings. If the temple there said, hey, you know, I wonder if people will have any kind of God experiences here. I, I do hope, right? I want to be useful, Right? That, 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 that is, it's crazy. It's the purpose of the temple for people to meet God there. And I'm going to say, about us, we should expect God moments. And let's just say two things about those God moments. First thing is, God moments don't come on our schedule. They don't come on our schedule. They don't come on any kind of schedule. God isn't going to fit in our constraints. He's not going to just fit when we want him to, when we want him to be around. I think you and I, were open to a little bit of emotion sometimes when we meet God. And we're like, God, yes, do meet with us. But please, can I have that wrap up about the time I want to get my coffee at the end of the service? Right? God, can you fit? I want you to fit in that space. And it's interesting because I don't know if you live in a house with other people, if you have ever had roommates living with your family, you can think about that. If you live with other people, you might think there, there should be lots of different moments where we interact with each other. And if somebody in your house came to you and was like, on a Tuesday, and was like, hey, do you know where the plunger is? 
And you're like, hey, you know what? We talk on Wednesdays, um, <laughs> right? That's, that's not how that works, right? We interact with each other. We try to help each other out, especially in plunger necessary moments. Uh, and, you know, we live with God all the time. But can I say out loud something that, that at least I sometimes think or maybe some of us might think? We might say, hey, God, can we... Uh, I'd love to be able to keep our kind of standing appointment. You know, um, I see you about 9.30 on Sundays, and I'll, I'll check with you about dinner time for about 20 seconds, right? Like we have kind of appointments that we make with God, and we say that these are the spaces where you can fit. But the question is, are we prepared for God moments? Can, can God moments start to come to us, or may, may, can it be a bit more like breathing, if we are always in God's presence, just like the people in your house, you kind of run into them and have funny little conversations about things, could we start to run into God a little bit more often? To run into God when we are walking through Costco. Maybe not Costco, it's a little stressful. Um, when you're walking through your happy place, you're walking in Target, and, um, and you are in a good mood, and you're like, yes, the Lord is here, and like you can worship, and you're like, I'm, I'm walking through, but you're thinking to yourself, God, I, I can pray for these people. You're, you're praying about your own day. Uh, you're thinking, it doesn't have to be a real formal thing, but you're like, God, you're here. And, and we can run into him in those places. Do you, do, I don't know if you ever think about it. Like when you, do you know that new development at uh, Alamo and Tapo, big one that's being built over there? Sometimes I just think, gosh, we need to pray for all these people who are moving to our neighborhood. What does it mean for us as we drive around to, to start to have some space for God to kind of interact with us, to run into him in different places? Not necessarily on our time, but to be ready for those moments in our lives. To say, God, you are here, and maybe I'm running into you. We can pray. Maybe you've got to turn the radio off and occasionally run into God on purpose. So those moments should come. And you know what? The psalmist in Psalm 42 talks about this feeling, begging for moments like this. The psalmist says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And I hope that for us, as, as people who are being built as a temple, who have God's spirit in us, that we can start to have a bit more of that hunger to say, when, when do I get to meet with God? And it doesn't have to be a set appointment. It can be a, a time when we run into him. And we can meet with God now. We can meet with God in regular moments. They don't have to come only on a schedule. The second thing about God moments is God moments are not just for us. I want to have a personal God moment. That's nice. But God moments are not just for us. The temple was a place where people could go and meet with God. And because you have God's name on you, because you wear the name of Christ on your life, you have been given the mission of showing God to the world, of kind of being, I don't know, the front doorstep of the temple. Uh, you, are, you don't have to be perfect, but you are part of pointing people to a perfect God. You are part of that. And when Solomon, he prayed to dedicate this temple, he prayed for the place, he prayed, um, he prayed, a bunch, of, he, a bunch of his prayers were about, God, when people are going through these hard times, I pray that they will think about you. When people are, uh, when stuff is no good, I hope that they will look to you. There's one prayer that really stood out in there. He, all, out of all the different situations, he says this. He says, 
in, this is in 1 Kings 8.41. I don't know if we have um, that one. In the future, he says, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm and they will pray toward this temple. Then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of earth will come to know and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your, your name. So even then at this time, there it's, it's saying this temple isn't just to say this is our club. God loves us, saying that the purpose of that temple was that the world may know God and may honor his name, to know something about what this, this God is like, our triune God, a very specific God who had called his people by his name. That same God is the one who brought his people out of Egypt to be here at this temple, the same one who then came in Christ and was willing to give his life for his people and resurrect again. The, this God is the one who gave himself completely for his people and was willing to have his name be on them. So if you are a part of God's temple, then what, one of the things that God wants is for you to have some God moments that are intended for people who are far away to know something about who this God is. That would be for helping our Muslim neighbors, maybe for helping your family that is Hindu, for your nephews and nieces maybe who say that they don't want anything to do with God, maybe for your neighbor who's a Mormon. These are all people because from the beginning, the temple was meant not only to be for the people who were there, but for everybody who wasn't there yet this whole world. And I, 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 I'm not ethnically Jewish. I appreciate that I was included in. <laughs> and it, this, if you are ethnically Jewish, this is a part of your history as well, that God is welcoming, calling you back, calling the world to this same God in every time, in every generation. So we can live into this vocation of us being the temple of God. Everywhere we go, every moment where we are, we get to show God in some way. And when I say that, you might be thinking for yourself, hey, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not pushy. I don't love to like, talk about God to everybody and be that kind of person, right? I, you're thinking, I'm not that pushy kind of person. Um, a lot of times, I think some, when we think about this kind of thing of being God's, uh, being open to God somewhere else, I think about, you know, when I was, uh, uh, I, I don't know, this was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there was somebody from my high school contacted me, and I was like, I, I didn't even really know you in high school. What's this about? And she was like part of some pyramid scheme thing and really wanted me to buy her product and like for me to start selling it to some other people too, right? No, it's great. You can make a lot of money. Um, and so that's what she was telling me, and I was like, I, I don't really want to talk to you. And some of us kind of think that we're, like, somehow we're supposed to be a part of some, like, Jesus pyramid scheme or something like that. That is not what we're doing here. That is not the temple. That's a different kind of building. How many of you like Girl Scout cookies? It's probably even more of you because I've seen you at the grocery store, Okay. <laughs> I love Girl Scout cookies, and you know what? That Girl Scout does not need to push me to buy my Thin Mints, okay? 
<laughs> it's, it's even harder when I know her. My neighbor is a Girl Scout. I will buy from her every time, everything she wants to give me. I love it. So you and I, when we think about wanting to engage people with God, we think we're trying to push them to something they don't want. But I want to tell you, God is even better than Girl Scout cookies. People, there are, this is ultimately what our souls are longing for, that our souls would be satisfied in something. And we keep searching for it in lots of different places. I want to be satisfied. And I try to work really hard at my job, and it ends up burning me out. Or I, I put all of my eggs in the relationship basket, and that doesn't work out. Right? I give all of my energy to something, and it just doesn't necessarily work out. But God is the one who will satisfy our souls. And people need God. They want him. They may, they may not always think that, and not everybody wants a Girl Scout cookie, but I want to tell you, you, I, I, I got to get me my Girl Scout cookies, and I'm hoping that we can at least help other people to engage with God in a way that they will be able to see that God is delicious for their souls, because he is. So m- my experience has been that in faith, as I've seen people come to faith, that they, I don't want people to be manipulated I want people to be more themselves than ever before. In fact, to not be owned by whatever corporations are trying to push them one way or the other, for them to just be a child of God and to feel truly loved and to be able to transform their relationships with other people, people who I've seen come to faith in Jesus, it changes the way that they interact with their finances. It changes the way they interact with their family. It shapes the way that they interact with their spouse or their history. It changes the way that we interact with our whole world and it makes us healthy because God wants you to be healthy and whole, to have that shalom, to not have the brokenness of the world anymore, but to do the work that points toward what God is going to do in the whole new creation where we are remade. So that's the direction that we should be headed. As individuals, as a church, this wholeness where God is calling us, we are people who should be more and more ready for God moments. Because we're a temple. We're being built as a temple. Individually, we can look for those moments, but even in moments with other people, maybe God is asking for you to pray for your neighbor face-to-face. Maybe invite them to come to church. Maybe give them a Bible or to be able to share with them something you learned at church. So here's a challenge I have for us. I would like this this next week for you to tell me about a God moment you have. Uh, we'll be able to post something on, uh, uh, maybe on our social media. You can, you can comment on there. If it's an individual experience, maybe you're just like, hey, I don't normally pray when I drive past that place at Tapo and Alamo, but I remember that and I prayed for it. Thanks a lot, Kurt. Yeah. Um, maybe, uh, maybe there's other moments. Maybe you have some moment with your neighbor. Uh, maybe there's a moment uh, with your, where God works in your heart, where God works through you in some way to other people. I would love to hear about that. Send me an email, send me a text message, write it on your Connect card next week when you come back. I want to hear about this. So tell me about a God moment that you have. Because I think that if we do this, our faith is going to grow as individuals if we look for God moments. I think our faith is going to grow because we hear about it from other people and what's going on in their lives. That's kind of the way that we're supposed to be headed, right? We're a temple for this Holy Spirit that God has come and dwelled among us, should shape us. It gives us power. It gives us power for forgiveness. It it can work in us in really big and small ways. It gives us power to to change the way that we see our whole world. And, And in the end, it's not us who's acting. It's God. And we're just getting to be a conduit. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for this image of the temple in 1 Kings 8. And I pray for us that we will live into our identity as your temple. That is a bigger job than what I thought I was signing on to do. But you have put your name on us. And that changes everything when you come into the house. So I pray that we will, we will live in that power with some courage and, and with expectation to look for you at work in our world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.